Jericho Road is a podcast and a Sunday school class and a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. These days, we're looking at the world of Jesus as it is told by the Gospel of Mark. We hope you'll join us. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Jericho Road. In this season three, we've been looking at the world of Jesus, and today I want us to think about Joseph of Nazareth. Um, As we've seen in our episodes on Bethlehem and on Mary, the story of Christmas is really a story more than 2,000 years old. There are always backstories from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that both interpret and inform them, and the story of Joseph of Nazareth is really no exception. So to begin us thinking about Joseph's role in the story of Christmas, I want us to go back. And this time, I want us to go back 4,000 years to a little well that you can find today in the Old Testament city of Beersheba. It's called Isaac's Well, and you can visit it right now. You can see it, and it's recorded in Genesis chapter 26, 25. Now, the well itself, not that much happened at the well, except in their world, wells are symbols of both power and stability and a home in a world with little water. So we know that Isaac and his family lived there. But as this well was being dug, a family tragedy was unfolding within the household of Isaac. Um, Isaac had twin sons, Esau and Jacob, with Esau as the firstborn and thereby promised the blessing of an inheritance. Except Jacob, the secondborn of the twins, was a trickster. And one day after Esau comes in famished from the field, Jacob convinces Esau to sell his birthright for a pot of stew. It is a gripping story. Esau is a man of his own appetites with little regard for consequences. And I'll jump ahead right here and say, God can't work with Esau. If the Bible is an eternal question, and I believe that it's one question in every story, will you be different in the way that God wants you to be different, or will you be something else? God can't work with Esau because he's not different. For despising his birthright, he's given the name Edom, and his ancestors are Edomites. And for the rest of his life, Esau is disobedient, and he's greedy, and he's just not different. Now, you can, now, by contrast, you can look at Jacob as a very, very different kind of human. He's indeed a trickster. I mean, there's a lot about Jacob that's not attractive. And Jacob is one of the most covered figures in all the Bible. Jacob's pretty much the only guy that we know from birth to childhood to young adulthood to middle age and then well into advanced age. We watch him grow. And it's going to take a minute because he is indeed a trickster, Um, But in Genesis chapter 25, verse 27, there's a funny little verse. It says that we're told that in spite of his tricks, he is a quiet man. Uh, In the Hebrew uh, translation, he is a simple man, which sounds surprising given that Jacob is such a rounder. Uh, But the Hebrew word, the root word, really means that he had a true heart. In spite of his immaturity, God saw a true heart. God can work with a guy like Jacob. God can work with imperfect people as long as their hearts are good. Well, if you keep reading the story, you'll learn. In time, Jacob would would remember that Esau despised his birthright. Esau forgot about it. Jacob never forgot, and he would steal the birthright, the blessing, for good. And while on the run from a murderous Esau, he would have a dream of a ladder with angels ascending and descending upon it, representing perhaps the Jacob that would be one day, and the Jacob that is not yet. But here's my point. Esau had no such dreams. Esau wouldn't listen 
to something like that. Esau was all about the moment and about himself. Okay, now let's fast forward 2,000 years to Bethlehem to a showdown of sorts. Uh, In Matthew chapter 2, we're told that King Herod would kill all the babies of this little town. Now, there's no way to prove it historically, but it's entirely within the character of this king. A place that I'd like to visit is not very far from Bethlehem. It's a place called Herodium, about seven miles southeast of Jerusalem. It's a truncated mountain that looks like a volcano, but it's entirely man-made. It was a hilltop fortress uh, built by this king, King Herod. It would later become his own tomb, and yet it's just another symbol of the audacious greatness of Herod. I mean, he even bent mountains to his will. He was clearly over the top. Now, a quick sketch of Herod will help you realize where he comes from and why he's so so great, right? Herod the Great. Uh, After a period of political instability in the Near East, Herod would um, ingratiate himself to the Roman emperor, and he would secure a highly lucrative client throne. Herod would become the third richest man in the world. And as a total despot, he would control his kingdom in three ways. One, he would control them through commerce with the superport, named after his boss, the emperor, named Caesarea Maritima. Uh, secondly, he would control defense with a super weapon called Masada down by the Dead Sea, uh, a, a defensive fort that's, that's amazing to visit even today. Thirdly, he would control their religion or their thought by transforming the temple that they had into the wonder of the ancient world, and this would be the temple that Jesus knew. Herod was a builder, and Herod was vile. He was a complete slave of his own appetites. Herod would murder his favorite wife in a jealous rage. He would murder his three sons, and to which the historian Josephus said that Augustus himself, the emperor, would say that it'd be better to be one of Herod's dogs than to be one of his children. And on his deathbed, Herod even ordered Judean nobles imprisoned and and to be murdered at his death so that someone would cry on the day he died. And the Romans would give Herod a title, King of the Jews. Now, this is ironic since Jesus was given that title or that name on the day of his own execution. It's also ironic because Herod wasn't even Jewish. He was from Edom. Can you see it now? Herod is symbolically, if not genetically, linked to Esau. Both Esau and Herod were people ruled by their appetites. Now we can see why Jacob would be the patriarch and not Esau. With Edom as king, with with Edom or Esau as king, Esau's people, Judea becomes a nightmare world with the desires of the flesh above service to God. God would choose Jacob, the second born, because Jacob's heart was true. And now, in the story of Christmas, God will choose someone else. I want to read just a few verses to you. This is Matthew chapter 1, beginning with the 18th verse. It goes like this. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. 
Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. Luke tells the story from Mary's perspective, and then Matthew tells the story of Christmas from Joseph's perspective. And both are important because it would take two people to make the story happen. And notice the declarative nature of the announcement. Again, just like Gabriel to Mary, you will have a baby and you will name him Jesus and he will save people from their sins. It's our job to say yes to God's plan. But it would take two people to work this plan. Mary to give Jesus life, Joseph to give the baby a name. Joseph. We don't know much about him. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus goes home to preach, they say, is this not the carpenter's son? But see, that's what we call him. That's the word that we use. In the original text, the word is tecton or laborer. About four miles from Nazareth, there's a Roman city called Sepphoris. I mean, Nazareth is so unimportant and poor, it's not mentioned in the Bible except for the Gospels. This Roman city is important, but it's also not mentioned in the Bible. But it was completely destroyed about the time of Jesus' birth, and so it was rebuilt during the entirety of Jesus' life. So it's probable, if not almost almost entirely possible, that Joseph and Jesus and others from Nazareth working as tectons would have built the city, rebuilt the city. But here's my thought on this. Tecton is really a downgrade. I, I know we have Jesus, excuse me, Joseph and Jesus and Mary and the little family in our nativity set imaginations with Joseph as a carpenter, teaching the boy Jesus perhaps how to make a table or right, how to build a house. But in reality, tecton is a downgrade from a world where the agrarian life was the ideal. Remember, in a few episodes back, we talked about rolling Roman tax debt that would take people off of their land and into a life that wouldn't be something that they had chosen. Joseph was a man who was back on his heels. Later, Jesus would use a specific term for his enemies. He would call them hypocrites, which is an actor behind a mask. And why not? There's a big theater in Sepphoris, and it's likely that Joseph and Jesus and the other laborers from that city would have worked on the thing. It's also assumed that Joseph was old in the story. He disappears quickly, so he's usually depicted leaning on a stick. Oh, I've got a story. I've got, um, I've got a nativity set that I bought from a Bethlehem store called the Bethlehem Souvenir Center. And I want you to pray for these folks as you, as you say your Christmas prayers. Uh, the nation of Israel has closed the borders because of this latest variant um, and of, of the virus. And so uh, this is the second Christmas in a row that there haven't been any tourists to come there for Christian tourism, uh, and especially Christmas, Christmas tourism as opposed to Christian tourism. It's just an important time of the year. And they're not making it. And and they're Christian families who have this souvenir store. And I ask for your prayers for them because they're really, really good guys. And in my nativity set, it's made of olive wood. They make it there. And they're just a bunch of old, they're a bunch of people with beards who are the shepherds. And I can't tell which one is Joseph. So I just pick one of them and put it next to Mary and he gets to be the guy. So Joseph is this background guy, this humble guy, probably old guy. And yet we need him to make this story going because he has a pure heart. He's just forgotten and left behind, but God can work with forgotten left behind people. Everybody doesn't have to be a rock star. What we need are hearts that are receptive to God's promise. So we're told 
that Joseph is a righteous man, righteous man, uh, just like just like Jacob is a righteous man or a quiet man. In other words, Joseph listens to his dreams. And so it would come to pass that Joseph would say yes to this dream, and in time, he would save his family from the nightmare king. All right, let's recap the stories we know it. We're told that wise men, Jesus is born, and wise men, we say three wise men because they have three gifts, but there could be more, and they were probably astrologers, are passing through Jerusalem looking for Jesus so that they can pay homage to him. And Herod here, uh, because Herod is wildly jealous of any sort of adoration like that, attempts to be the trickster, using them to find the baby, but they too have dreams, they listen to their dreams, they too have pure hearts, and they go find another road. And now we'll pick up the story at Matthew chapter 2, beginning with the 13th verse. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt. I have called my son. Well, sometimes I like to say that, gosh, the stories in the Bible are always the same story. And here we have a showdown between those who rely on their might alone, like Esau and Herod, or their own bootstraps like Esau or Herod, or their own wealth like Esau or Herod, or their own insatiable appetites like Esau or Herod. And then there are those with a pure heart, like the trickster, like Joseph, who follow the voice of God. And in this case, an old laborer would do his part to save the world. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you after the new year. We'll pick right back up with the world of Jesus as it is told in the Gospel of Mark. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.